Good morning, church. How are we doing on this fine Sabbath morning? Doing good? Very cool. So, uh, I think I'm going to enjoy the next few moments here. You have to forgive me. It's already been set up for me, which is interesting. Uh, when you hear the words facing God, what do you think of? Where does your, your mind automatically go? We heard this morning in Mary's prayer, you know. Of course, we haven't talked beforehand, so we had, she had no idea what I was going to talk about. But in her prayer, immediately facing God went to this, of course, the judgment, right? How many of you, uh, when you read the, 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 the title, you heard the title, you thought, oh, yes, of course, this is about the judgment. Go ahead. Let's see, let's see who's got, uh, some of you guys, okay, very nice, all right, all right, I get it, yeah. A little, a little hesitant to, to be honest about it, it's okay. Uh, I, I understand. For some of you, facing God meant facing God. Turning towards him. We're going to talk about what it means to turn towards God. A.W. Uh, Tozer, someone that I believe was very inspired when he was writing, he said these words. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that? See, when we think about God, what comes to your mind? So when you think about facing God, what comes to your mind? What's your first thought? Is it, uh-oh, I'm going to be facing God, the judge? Or is it, am I willing to face God and always have my, my, my face towards God? Or am I going to turn my back to him? How are we doing? Some time ago, a few years ago, here I preached a sermon and we talked about the parable of the talents. And in that parable, there was this quote. At the end of the parable, the guy that kept the money and just decided to bury it, this is what he says. He says, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowance for error. This is the kind of master you are. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. I wonder how many of us think of God this way. You know, that this, this is an exacting God. This is a God, of course he has high standards. Of course he wants us to fo shoot for excellence. And, 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 and he, uh, uh, all these things are true. However, God is a loving, forgiving God who wants us to go ahead and risk some stuff for his glory. Don't you think so? I think part of the problem why our churches don't grow is because we are afraid to risk for God. Because we think God's going to punish us if we blow it. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying here? See, I think God is looking for us to accomplish things that, that if God was not in it, we would absolutely fail. And I think that's the, that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is that we fail because... Because God's not in it. Because we have turned our face away from God rather than towards him. God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for you. 
but rules and restrictions apply. <laughs> for God so loved the Son that he gave his only begotten Son, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that it shall ever believeth in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life, but rules and restrictions may apply. Um, when I was growing up in the 70s, there was this comedian. Uh, his name was George Carlin. And uh, he was pretty funny, a, a little crude, I would say, at times. Uh, but always, the, one of the reasons why he was so funny is because he always, he always addressed some things that were f- really truthful, if you thought about him. He'd always do it in a, in a very kind of sarcastic way, you know. Uh, but he, he wrote this uh, not too long ago before he passed away. He, he wrote these words. He says, religion has actually convinced people that there is an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of those 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. You know what's sad about this? Listen carefully. What's sad about this is is although we think it's funny, I meet people every day, not just outside the church, inside the church, that believe this. Oh, well, they may not believe in hellfire, you know, but they believe that God is just like that. We're going to talk about this uh, for the next few weeks, actually. It's not a series. I just want to talk about this subject. Is that okay? It's, it's heavy on my mind. There's some things that I've been reading, some things that I've been going through. Nancy and I, when we talk and, and, and share spiritual thoughts and, and, and heavy, deep stuff, we've been talking about this subject a lot. And so it's been heavy on our minds. In fact, I may invite her to come up and share some stuff uh, in a couple of weeks. I don't know. We just, we just been, it's been deep and heavy on, on our hearts. So I want to share with you some, some common ways that people think about God. And since, since I believe that most of you are very visual, like me, I'm going to give you some visuals to go for it with it. Is that, is that okay? Some of you think of God as a judge. I see some of you know Judge Judy. Every time I watch this lady, I just I cringe, you know, like, oh, my goodness, really? Is that, like, come on, right? But we think of God like Judge Judy, you know, Fools, full, full of rules and, 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 and do's and don'ts and, and, and sarcasm and, you know, and points the finger and, you know, it's like, look at me, listen to me, you know, and, you know, sometimes there's the loser sign, you know. Like, we, I, I know people that think of God this way. Have you met them? There are some people that think of God like a big, intense hammer that wants to pound people with truth until somehow they reach, you know, the score that they're supposed to reach. 
You ever been to the carnivals or the fairs and they have one of these things out there? I hate these things because they always remind me how weak I really am. But, but let alone that, you know, we think, many of us think of God this way. Some of us think of God like this. Have you ever seen these before, the child leash? And we think of God this way, that God just kind of restricts us of how far we can go. You can only go this far. And some of us have leashes that have a little, little thing that kind of lets go a little bit longer. That's nice, you know. So we think we're free, but actually we're not, right? Because, because God's got us on a leash. I meet people every day that say, you know, yes, of course it's salvation by faith. But I have little works in there. You know, stop. Don't go that far. You know, watch the boundary. Unfortunately, some of us don't have leashes. We think of God as the God with the, with the shocking collar. So you went too far. Sorry. I, I think the, the little boy's a little confused there as he sees the dogs on leashes. Wait a minute, you know. <laughs> what's, what's really going on here, right? And then, and then we, we, some of us think of God as the God who just wants to punch us. Punch us until we are just, we just submit. We say, okay, okay, I give up, I give up, I accept Jesus. You beat me till I'm tapped out. Okay, God, it's all, you know, it's like we think of God as this guy who keeps giving us bad experiences and, and, and tough stuff so that until one day we say, okay, God, I give up. You win. And some of us think of God as a tape measure. And we must pray this much. We must study 20 minutes a day, and it's got to be in the morning. You know, I believe that there's some people that God doesn't want to see in the morning. Can I just be honest with you? You just talk to me later. Do you know what I mean? But, but, but there are people that actually believe this, you know. Don't do this. Don't do that. I can get into specifics, but I don't have time right now to do that. But we feel God is constantly measuring us. And there are so many of us in this room right now that don't feel like we measure up. Isn't that true? And so you come to church week after week hoping something will click. Somehow you get inspired to measure up, but you never do. And you wonder what it's all about. But the truth is, there's not a person in this room who is not broken. I don't care how long you've been a church member. You're broken. The Bible says, for all are broken. The word it uses is, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. So we're going to look at a story here. It's a story about a young man who hears about Jesus and decides He's going to meet with him. In a few minutes, the 
text will come up on the screen here. It's found in Matthew chapter 19. Some of you who are churchgoers and have been coming to church for a long time, you know this story as the story of the rich young ruler. How many of you have heard this story before? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment, a defining moment in this man's life. Have you ever had defining moments in your life? One of those moments which fundamentally change the direction of your life. It is because of how we respond to those defining moments that dictates how our lives go. It was because I responded to a defining moment many years ago in my life that I can stand here before you today and say that I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior and King. But I could have gone the other way. These are moments where we come face to face with God, face to face with truth. And in the course of life, many of us have many of these defining moments. Some of us recognize them, some of us don't. There are events, circumstances by which our lives will be remembered and defined forever. Some of them have greater consequences than others, but they all have consequences. For some people, it is the way we handle a crisis. For some of us, it's an accomplishment or a particular event in our lives. It's how we handle those moments. In fact, I guarantee you, some of you will be going through a defining moment today, right now, sitting in that pew. How's that sound? See, that's what church should be about. Church should be about coming here and saying, all right, God, I'm ready. Bring it on. Right? Give me that moment right now, Lord. I am, I am asking for it. So what have your defining moments been? I want you to think about those. If I was going to ask you to list them, what would they be? And how would you feel if those defining moments, or one of those, was public domain. See, you know what the Bible is? The Bible is a collection of defining moments that are public domain. Some of them turn out really good, and some of them don't. That's what's so amazing about this Bible. It's not about a bunch of great, perfect people who, who do perfect things all the time. This is about a bunch of broken people that do a lot of broken things all the time and yet are connected to a perfect God who perfectly knows how to forgive them and guide them. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is extremely important. So let's eavesdrop a little bit on the conversation in Matthew 19. It says, now, uh, verse 16, you have it in front of you. If not, look it up in your Bible. This is, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, now, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, let me stop there for a moment. Uh, the book, by the way, this is recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And the book of Mark, actually, Mark says that, that this man 
approached Jesus and fell to his knees and kind of in a worshipful adoration and said, look, teacher, what must I do to be... You could tell this guy was somebody special. He had heard about him. And he wants to know, what is the system? What system do I need to use? I want to make sure that I know what the do's and don'ts are. I want to make sure that I do the right things here because I've got a lot of things, but I'm not, there's something about me. I, I am, I don't have any, any kind of assurance, any security. I don't have any way of knowing that I have eternal life. And I believe you could tell me how to gain eternal life. So what would you do? This is a defining moment for this young man. Don't you believe so? And can you imagine how Jesus must have felt at that moment? When this man approached them, can I just tell you what Jesus is not thinking? This is important. Because some of you come to church and you think this is what Jesus is thinking. This is what the pastor is thinking. This is, no, no. Let me tell you what he's not thinking. Ah, rich, young, ruler. This guy can really benefit our cause. Can I tell you how many people I know and I meet every day that think that that's what God's all about? Jesus wasn't concerned about his wealth. How are we doing? Any defining moments yet? Great theologian once wrote these words, when a defining moment comes along, you either define the moment or the moment defines you. Kevin Costner. At first glance, this man is purpose-driven. He has resolve. He's industrious. But as we read further, we realize something much deeper. And it's already in this question what must I do to gain eternal life? How many of you have asked this question of God? Yeah, I know you don't want to raise your hand. I get it. Because you know where I'm going with this, don't you? But I think if we were honest, all of us at some point in our lives have asked some form of this question. Isn't that true? What must I do? You know, eternal life is not something you do, it's something you be. <laughs> right? You don't do eternal life. You experience eternal life. Right? Does that make sense or not? Are you with me? So he's already asking a wrong question. And Jesus always does this. You know, somebody asks him a question, and he doesn't answer the question right away. Did you notice that? He says, why do you call me good? It's almost as if he's like, why do you call me good? Like, are you implying something? I bet you there's a little bit of a pause there. Why do you call me good? And I bet you this guy was like, you know, I heard about you. I know you do this. So I'm going to get you back on track to the question. <laughs> Stay with me, Jesus. And at this moment, he is facing God. Are you following me? 
He is facing God, and when you are facing God, you are facing in the right direction. When you are facing God, you're on holy ground, and you are with him. And this is a moment that is just fantastic. And he is doing great right now. Even though he's asking the wrong question, he's in the right presence. Are you following what I'm saying here? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, he says. I love this. You know, if you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, you're missing it. Because he says what you would not expect him to say. He says, well, if you want to enter into the life, obey the commandments. That's easy. And the guy is sitting there going, wait, wait a minute. And he says, he says, hold on, hold on. Which ones? And Jesus is like, which ones? And he starts to name some. Well, do not commit murder. I haven't. Anybody here? Murderer? Anybody? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> do not commit adultery. No, I haven't done that. Do not steal. No, I've done that. You sure? Are you cheated on your taxes? Rich young ruler? No, no, I've been really faithful. Okay, good, good. Do not give false testimony. Never done Have you never lied? Not even a little white lie? Come on. Any? No? Honor your father and mother. Yep, I do. If it wasn't for them... I wouldn't be wealthy today. Love your neighbor as yourself? I do. I do. I, I give a, some of my money away. I give it to the church. I give it to people. I diaper bank, you know, all that stuff, man. I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good about that. I love my neighbor as myself. In fact, he says, all these I have what? Kept. The young man said. What do I still lack? How many of you have come to church and you feel like I'm, I'm doing everything pretty good in me? I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing things okay. I, I, I can check off this list. You know, I even have the Sabbath one down, you know? I mean, like, what do I still lack? Anybody ever ask, like, what, what am I missing, God? What is it that I'm missing? I see, I think Jesus loved that question. In fact, the book of Mark says that at this moment, and it's such a strange sentence here. You don't see this that often. But Mark records this. It says, Jesus loved him. Did you catch that? Wait a minute, doesn't Jesus love everybody? Mark? I mean, why would you say at this moment Jesus loved them? Because, you see, at this moment, this man recognized that he needed something. At this moment, he was in perfect harmony with the will of God. Because it's when we think we got it all, and we've made it well, and everything is great, and we don't like anything, that's when we ought to be worrying. Are you following what I'm saying to you? 
See, none of us will ever get to the point where we feel like I am perfect. I am perfect. God, thank you so much. I can't believe you did it, but man, I am perfect. I'm having a hard time just saying it even in the sermon right now. I'm going to finish with Lee stupid, (laughs) you know. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. How on earth could we ever get to that point? And this man is, is acknowledging this. I lack something. Right now he is facing God and he is in the right direction. And he's not perfect. He doesn't have it all. But at least he is towards God. And everything is good right here. And so he says, what do I still lack? You're a member of the church. Some of you are church leaders here. You do good. Some of you are actually wealthy, rich. Some of you are young. Some of you, you've had people come up to you and and, and cheer you on and said, man, I'm amazed how you serve God. And, And you're thankful for this. But deep inside, you realize there's an emptiness. Can I just tell you something? Never lose that emptiness. Can I, can, I, can I be honest with you? I believe you can have total assurance of salvation and still feel that you don't measure up. Anybody a defining moment yet? Are you following what I'm saying here? Is it possible to have total assurance of salvation, but you know that you, yourself, on your own, without Jesus, you never measure up? It's just not going to happen, man. And if you don't believe me, spend the next few weeks here because we're going to make it clear to you beyond the shadow of a doubt. And so Jesus then decides, okay, this guy is on autopilot. He's going through the motions. And he says these words, and I believe he chooses these words on purpose. He says, if you want to be perfect... And by by the way, the Greek word there is teleos, which means if you want to be completely fulfilled, like complete, this is like, this is the best of the best of the best of the best, right? If you, now this is now, this is specific to him. He says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven And then come and follow me. Can you imagine this rich young man when Jesus says, oh, well, if you want to be perfect, he's like, hold on, hold on, let me get my book out. Let me write this down. All right, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, that's exactly what I'm waiting for, is how to be perfect. He says, okay, no problem. Number one, go sell everything you have. There's more. More? 
Yeah. All your proceeds, you give to the poor. He's not writing anything down at this point. And then there's one more thing. Follow me. Why did Jesus say that? I think there's something really important to be said. You know, when I read this story, I ask myself, what would Jesus be saying to me? Because I'm not rich and I'm not young. Maybe I'm a leader, I don't know. But I'm poor and I'm old. And I don't know if any of this applies to me, but I do know that if he was talking to me, he would say something else. Because what he was actually saying is, your wealth owns you, not God. See, if you want to be perfect, you've got to stop being owned by your wealth and using God. You ought to be actually being owned by God and then using wealth. Does that make sense? But many of us have it backwards. So what would be owning us? As some of you, he would be saying, you know, it's, it's power. For some of you, it's pleasure that owns you. For some of you, it's possessions or property that owns you. For some of you, it's position that owns you. But some, all of us, at some point, have to ask ourselves, what owns us besides God? And what are we willing to say, God, I, that does not own me. You own me. You are my king. Not my money. Not my power. Not my position. Not my possessions. Not my property. Not my... No, God, you own me. How are we doing out there? But you know what I love about this? Is that Jesus actually gives them the backwards way of doing it. And I think he does it on purpose. Because of the question, the backwards question that this guy was asking. Because what Jesus was actually saying is, here's what you ought to really be doing. You ought to follow me. And as you follow me, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have this desire to serve the poor. And as you serve the poor, you're going you're gonna to realize that for me to do that, I've I got to sell things. I've got to get rid of things. I've got to make sure things don't own me. But it starts with what? Following Jesus. Are you following me? See, I, I, I think some of us have it backwards, and we take this, and we go, you see, there it is. You got to first sell everything you have, then, you know, get rid of whatever owns you, and then all of a sudden you get the fault. No, it doesn't work that way. You follow Jesus, and then as you follow him, things begin to get crowded out of your life. You cannot help but just get rid of things. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about things in our lives that own us. And for some of us, it's just so, pride owns some of us. And we got to let it go. And Jesus is saying, look, man, stop the nonsense. Stop the craziness. In John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying, he said these words, and this is eternal life. So 
That's important what's going to say next, right? <laughs> and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Follow him. Get to know him. What we ought to be doing on a regular basis constantly is getting to know Jesus, following him, being totally guided by him. And at that point, he's fine because he's still facing God. But the moment he does hear this, he says, when the young man, the Bible says in, in, in uh, Luke, it says, uh, excuse me, in Matthew and, and in Luke and in Mark, by the way, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away. Very sad. Now the Bible says because he had much possession. But that's not what it really was. It was because he was not willing to follow Jesus so that he can get to the point where he would not be owned by money anymore. But he would be owned by God. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, when I'm talking about facing God, Here's what I'm talking about. Now, I'll start over here, just because I need the exercise. God's that microphone out there. Every day of my life, my, all that I have, this is all I get, this is all, my ability, my only thing that I can offer is I get to choose to face God. And hopefully as I face God, there is this kind of attraction that pulls me towards him. I believe that if we don't resist, we just get sucked in closer and closer to him. Are you following me? Right? I can even fall and falter. I'm not going to do it because i got bad knees. But you can imagine this, right? I, I can do this and I could be crawling or even stagnant for a little bit. But as long as I'm facing him, I'm okay. It is the moment that I decide no more. And I start turning this way and start resisting that wonderful pull, which, by the way, never stops. I've seen people that did this, and they were like, oh, okay, God, you love me so much. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is the God we serve. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that just, you know, it's just, and in fact, the disciples listen to this and they go, wow. If that's the case, who's going to be saved? <laughs> it's like, that's impossible. I love what Jesus says. Jesus in verse 26, go to verse 26. It says, looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Are you getting it? But with God, all things are possible. See, if, if I am trying to give up on what owns me on my own, guess what? It's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. All things are possible. All all, all things are possible. Do you believe that? I love the way the Message Bible says it. The disciples were staggered. 
Then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God can do it for you. Isn't that cool? I want to end, as the worship team comes up, with, with two quotes from another very inspired author. These two quotes, I'm going to be sharing a bunch of these in the next few weeks. Uh, I remember studying them with Nancy together as we read some of these books, and it just blew us away as we began to discover and understand this. And they totally just... This author, I believe, is extremely inspired. She wrote a book once called Acts of the Apostles. It was about what happened after the resurrection and about the disciples and, and what happened there. And listen to what this author says in this little paragraph right here. Neither life nor death, height nor depth can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not because we hold him so firmly, but because he holds us so fast. And then she continues by saying this, and that's same, right next, next, right, right after it says, if our salvation depends on our own efforts, we could not be saved. Did you catch that? If our salvation depends on our own efforts, we could not be saved. But it depends on the one who is behind all the promises. Do you believe that? See, see, there is something liberating by realizing this. In fact, it is so liberating that I believe it's the only thing that can truly help us to become disowned by those things that own us. And I'll read you this last one. This is in a book called Selected Messages. Same author. And Ellen writes these words. There are conscientious souls that trust partly to God and partly to themselves. So she's addressing people that trust partly to God and partly to themselves. They do not look to God to be kept by his power, but depend, catch this, depend upon watchfulness against temptation and the performance of certain duties for acceptance with him. Anybody having a defining moment right now? She continues, there are no victories in this kind of faith. How many victories? None. There are no victories in this kind of faith. Such person toil to no purpose. Their souls are in continual bondage and they find no rest until their burdens are laid at the feet of Jesus. That's why I believe this person is so inspired when she writes. We can do nothing, comma, absolutely nothing, comma, to commend ourselves to divine favor. We must not trust at all to ourselves, nor to our good works. But when as erring, broken, sinful beings we come to Christ, 
we may find rest in his love. And God will accept everyone that comes to him, trusting holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, in the merits of a crucified Savior. Crucified Savior. See, what we need to do is come to the cross every day. Because that cross reminds us that it's there that my hope is found. It is at that cross that I realize how broken I am and that only I have, all that I have is within Jesus Christ. It's at that cross that I realize that I, that I am on holy ground and I get to bow down before the king of the universe and say, this, just, this is just me, God. Every day, protect me and guide me. I am yours. Forgive me every day, for I am broken. But here's one thing, Lord. I am facing you. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for being such an awesome God. Thank you for your ability to pull us. Lord, there's a part of me that likes to think that somehow that encounter with you impacted that rich young man. He went back home and thought about it. And something triggered in his heart. And his life was changed, and maybe one day we get to meet him in heaven, Lord. I like to think that that's possible because I know who you are. And I know what you've done for us. May we wholly depend on you. Always. And face you. Always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.